We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is one of the most quoted lines in the Declaration of Independence. There was something about that Thomas Jefferson understood when he penned these words. That there was something about this God that couldn't be left out of the governing principles of a country. This is a huge statement when you think about it. Especially in that time, but even more in this time. Because it makes a statement that we are created people. That we're not an accident. No matter who we are. No matter what ailments or disabilities we may have. No matter the differences between us. It's not an accident. There were we all created as equal. However, human beings being self-evident has not always been the case. Aristotle did not believe that all people were created equal. The great philosopher of his time, people looked to him for how was the world shaped? How was the world supposed to go about its existence? And Aristotle's belief was for that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but expedient. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjugation and others for rule. Aristotle taught and believed that there were people from birth that some were meant to be ruled and some were meant to be rulers. That there was no philosophy or there was no existence of us being created as equals. So who was it that came between Aristotle and Thomas Jefferson that would change things? Who was this man that changed the scope of our beliefs and how we lived our lives? Who was this man? In the Roman Empire... Some babies grew up to be women who were generally shut off from the educational and public life. They they were cast aside. They, They were not supposed to be in public. Some grew to be slaves who were needed only for their labor but regarded as inferior to those who were considered free. Many babies did not grow up at all. In the ancient Roman world, unwanted children were often simply left to die, a practice that was called exposure. The head of the household had the right to decide whether a person lived or died that was a member of their family. The most common reasons for exposure of a child would be if the family lived in poverty and couldn't afford to raise a child. If the wealthy family did not want this estate divided up 
even more. If a child was born the wrong gender, i.e. female. Or if a child was born illegitimate. You see, Jesus was given a title when he was born. It wasn't just king. But it was this title that was given in the Roman world called Mamzer. It was a title given to a child whose parents were not married. Or if they were a descendant of a forbidden relationship between two Jews. You see, if Jesus was not born Jewish, if he was born into a Roman culture, more than likely he would have been left to die. Because he was an illegitimate child in the view of their eyes. See, abandoned children were often left on a dump or a dung hill. They most often died, but sometimes they were rescued. But usually this was simply to become slaves, to make slaves of the children. This happened often enough that hundreds of ancient names are variations of the word copros or copria, which means dung. Children were literally treated as waste, as something to be cast aside, as, as dirt. Believe it or not, in the ancient world, dogs had more value than children, and sometimes even adult women. One day, Jesus was questioned, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He was asked by one of the teachers of the law. And Jesus calls a little child to him. And he puts the child in the middle of the people, Possibly a child named Kopros. He says, unless you change, unless you become like one of these little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's really easy for us to, to read that portion of Scripture and see Jesus calling the little children to him and thinking all these warm, fuzzy feelings that, oh, he loves kids too. But it's so much more than that. You see, Jesus was going against something totally contrary to that culture. He was taking something that was treated like waste and saying this, this little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus was giving those children who had the name Kopros, he was giving them a new name. He was giving them a name of great. He was giving them value. He was giving them their dignity back. By the fourth century, the practice of exposure was outlawed throughout the entire empire. Over time, instead of leaving unwanted children on the dunghill, it became practice that they would leave children at monastic communities or at a church. And so over time, 
what began as the first orphanages began to pop up in churches and monasteries. Why? Because there was this man named Jesus who said, bring the little children to me. Take care of these children. Love these children because they have value. You see, Jesus changed the scope of the world simply by saying, bring the little children to me. He was changing the scope of their lives. A story that I wanted to share with you that I think illustrates this perfectly, the power of Jesus' love for all people and how Jesus came to give you dignity to give you value that no matter who you are, that you are created as an equal person. You may be different. You may have a disability. You may have something that someone else does not have. But you are valued. You are treasured. The story of Dick and, Rock and Richard Hoyt is a powerful story. You see, Richard was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. He was brain damaged and he would never be able to walk or speak again. They eventually had a computer made that allows Richard to spell words out by hitting his head against a pad that sits on the side of his chair. One day Richard was watching TV and he saw that there was going to be a benefit race being held to help a young man who had been paralyzed. And Richard began to type out the sentence, Dad, I want to run. Richard had never walked. Richard had no movement in his body. But he typed out the sentence, Dad, I want to run. By this time, Dick, the father, was 40. He was a self-described porker who had never run over a mile in his life. He somehow pushed his son in a wheelchair over the course. Afterwards, Richard wrote another sentence that changed Dick's life forever. Richard wrote, When I ran, I didn't feel disabled. So Dick began to run. Watch this story. Jesus, or in all of you be 
See, Dick, you're a follower of Christ. He said, my son has value. My son is not disabled. Because I can run. See, despite Dick's age, despite pushing his son. Dick's best time running a marathon, 26.2 miles, is a little over two and a half hours. 30 minutes 
shy of the world record. But you see, the world record holder was not pushing his son. You see, Jesus says, we're valued. You see, that's why I serve Jesus. He brings so much more than just simply being someone who died for us. You see, but it's how he changed the world through his love. You see, but Jesus wasn't just simply done. He wasn't just dealing with the children. He had more to say. In Luke chapter 14, we see that Jesus was invited to the house of the Pharisees. They invited him because they wanted to test him. But the host didn't know what he was in for because Jesus began to challenge everything that happened at the dinner party. In Luke 14, starting in verse 7, it says, When he noticed how the guests had picked the place of honor at the table, he told them, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both you, both you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those, for all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But then Jesus said again to the host, when you have a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, the very people that were uninvited, that were never invited to the party, Jesus was saying, those are the people that we should be inviting to our parties. Those are the people that we should be calling into our homes and, and taking care of. It's not the rich who, who can afford to take care of themselves. It, it's not your family who you already take care of. But it's the poor. It's the crippled. It's the widow. It's the orphan. Those are the people that we're to call in to our homes. You see, we started out this message by saying that we were all created equal 
And that there's something uh, about Thomas Jefferson that was going through his mind that said, each of us, because we are created equal, have the right to pursue a life with life, with liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Note that it does not say happiness. A lot of us think that, but it says the pursuit of happiness. William Wilberforce was friends with John Wesley. If you've been in a Methodist church long enough, you know who John Wesley is. Well, John Wesley was one of the main influencers of William Wilberforce. He supported his campaign and his fight to end slavery. You see, William Wilberforce headed the Parliament campaign against the British slave trade. For 26 years, he fought. Finally, in 1807, the passage of the Slave Trade Act ended slavery, ended trade, the trade in Britain, in the British colonies. But it did not end slavery. There were still slaves. You just could not trade them anymore. You could not sell them anymore. But they still had slaves. So William Wilberforce said, no, these people have value. A great first step of, of passing that they, we can't trade them like, like toys, like used cars. No, they have value. So we need to get rid of slavery for good. So he began, he, to, he continued to fight this battle. Unfortunately, in 1826, due to health reasons, he resigned from Parliament. But he still led the campaign which led to the Slavery Abol Abol Abolition Act of 1833. Wilberforce died just three days after hearing that his job was made complete. He valued life. Why? Because there was this man named Jesus... Who came and said that each one of us were created. That each one of us have a purpose. That each one of us have value in this world. Then there was this very tall, lanky man from Illinois who became president of the United States. You see, Abraham Lincoln was strongly influenced by William Wilberforce and his never-ending fight against slavery in England. Abraham Lincoln's efforts toward the abolishment of slavery included the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, which, engaged in, which encouraged the border states to outlaw slavery. He also helped push through Congress the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution which finally freed all slaves nationwide in December of 1865. Why? Because a man named Jesus Christ influenced a preacher named John Wesley, who encouraged and influenced a man named William Wilberforce to take up the battle against slavery. And then William Wilberforce encouraged and influenced the man named Abraham Lincoln 
which freed slaves, which told the world that we have value as human beings. But you see, Jesus wasn't done yet. A man named Leo Tolstoy, dry mouth right now, Tolstoy was a Russian author. And one day he, he picked up this book called the Bible and he began reading the New Testament and he began to see there was something different about this man Jesus. And he got to Matthew chapter 5 and he began reading the Sermon on the Mount and he began to see there's this difference between these people who call themselves Christians and this man who called himself the Christ. He began to see that there was a difference between how we act and how he taught us to live. So he began to take Jesus' teaching literally, and he began to write about this. His teachings were about a simple Christian ethic, divorced of any complex theology. It was simply a matter of Jesus said, bring the little children to me, care for them. And so what are we going to do as followers of Christ? We're going to bring the little children and we're going to care for them. And we're going to teach these children that they have value and that they can be loved. You see, Leo was eventually excommunicated from the Russian Orthodox Church. Tolstoy's, Tolstoy's views were seen as radical to most people except one Indian man from South Africa who was powerfully influenced by Tolstoy's religious and ethical philosophy found in his book, The Kingdom of God is Within You. You see this young disciple and correspondent of Tolstoy from South Africa was Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi studied law at the University College of London and became a barrister, which is a lawyer. At the age of 24, he found himself in South Africa as a legal representative for Muslim Indian traders. Gandhi watched as his people were treated very poorly by the native Africans and the British government that ruled in that area. But you see, Gandhi began to implement something called nonviolent civil disobedience. Gandhi led India to independence and inspired movements for nonviolence, civil rights, and freedom across the world. You see, he believed that Jesus Christ said, it's okay to stand up for your rights. But what Jesus didn't say was that you get to kill people because they're killing you. That we're going to stand in disobedience to the government's but we're going to do it in a loving way. We're going to do it in a way that Christ would do it. And you see, it was because of a man who was influenced by Tolstoy, who was influenced by this man named Jesus. A young seminary student found himself being heavily influenced by one man's understanding of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and Gandhi's life, leadership, and the teaching of nonviolent resistance became the foundational piece of this young man's life before he really wanted it to. 
You see this young man, this young seminary student. His name was Martin Luther King Jr. A man who stood up for the rights of his fellow brothers and sisters. Because he believed that Jesus Christ said that we were all created equal. That we were created by a loving God who loves each and every one of us. And that we are not a mistake. No matter what our skin color. No matter what our belief system. No matter what disability we have. We are all created in the image of God. Martin Luther King in one of his books said, when I went to Montgomery as a pastor, I had not the slightest idea that I would later become involved in a crisis in which nonviolent resistance would be applicable. I neither started the protest nor suggested it. Listen to this. I simply responded to the call of the people for a spokesman. When the protest began, my mind consciously and unconsciously, was driven back to the Sermon on the Mount with its sublime teachings on love and to the Gandinian method of nonviolent resistance. We're not going to fight back. We're going to love them. Because you see, if you remember correctly, when Jesus Christ was being put on the cross, one of his final words were said, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're going to love the people who hate us, who treat us like dirt, who would rather we not even exist. We're going to love them. And it was because of a man named Jesus who came and said that you have value no matter who you are. You see, Jesus came to give us dignity. He came to give us life. You see, his teachings are not just simply words on a page. As Tolstoy says, they're words meant to be taken literally. When he says to love your God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself, he's talking about that black neighbor you have. He's talking about that disabled neighbor that you have. He's talking about that person that you cannot stand that's next door to you. He's talking about all of us loving each other because we have value. The perfect story. Jesus Christ came. When you think about Jesus, when you think about who he is, you see, I think I go back to that story that we watched of the father and son. You see, because Jesus stands in the gap and he says, if you can't, I can. If you can't do this, if you don't think you have value, I can. I can say that you have value. You see, because when Richard couldn't run, he had a father 
who said, I can. And I'll do it for you. You see, we can't die for our sins because we would all be going to hell, right? But God said, I have a son who can die for your sins. And I'm going to send him to you on earth. And he's going to die for you. You can't. But he can. How has Jesus changed your life? As our ushers and Jeff come, as we receive communion. You see, as we receive communion, we're doing that very thing. We're proclaiming that God can, that Jesus can do something that we are unable to do for ourselves. You see, Jesus is saying, you have value, and you have so much value, I'm willing to die for it.